Welcome to the Tippy Top Entrepreneur Experience. Great. Now, we promised you high-caliber industry professionals, and today we here we have Edward Reed from PwC Raise, who specializes in helping high-growth businesses raise institutional investment. Welcome, Ed. Glad to be here. Thanks again. Now, Ed and I met in mid-2020, actually through LinkedIn, it does work, uh, through our mutual interest in helping entrepreneurs. And since then, we've collaborated on numerous startup fundraisers and even had the opportunity to meet in the flesh in Cardiff in September 2021 at the Dealmakers Awards. Now, Ed, would you like to give us a, a brief intro to you and PwC Rays and all the good work that you're doing in helping startups? Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Alex. Very happy to be here. Um, so a bit about me to start with, I guess. Um, I'm, I was born and raised in Cardiff, uh, then went to Nottingham for university. And on the back of that, joined PwC on their grad scheme back in 2012 now. So sort of showing my age a little bit. Um, so I qualified as a chartered accountant in audit. And then I moved to the uh, restructuring practice in deals where I focused on doing turnarounds across a number of sectors really. So healthcare, uh, logistics, um, did some in utilities and also some software businesses as well. Um, so got a really good experience working across numerous sectors and learning how to sort of deal with people in a very high pressure work environment and getting some very uh, hard-nosed commercial experience. Um, but while I was there, was also dabbling a little bit on the side with early stage ventures basically, um, was part of a, um, a program set up at PwC that was looking to sort of do some mentoring, so sort of seed stage startups. Um, and on the back of that sort of ca caught the bug really, um, and then joined the, the, the Raise Ventures team um, about two years ago now, so sort of full-time making it the, uh, my day-to-day my -day gig. Um, and what we do is we help high growth um, businesses um, raise institutional capital, so typically series A and series B, um, really working on investments of, of one to 30 million. Um, so that's, that's helping them throughout the process, you know, getting their documents ready, taking them out to market to, to speak to the right investors um, and also helping sort of with the, the deal completion side of things as well mm. and making that as efficient as possible. Um, mm. So yeah, work across a number of sectors, health tech, FinTech, you name it, we're, 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 we're in there. Yeah, great. No, I mean, such so good having you on the show and so pertinent to the current uh, investment climate. We've seen obviously a lot of interest at Series A um, and the, the processes are moving quicker than ever before. There's a lot more competition. Um, there's a lot more, um, yeah, a lot of advice is, is needed. And I think a lot of institutions have tried to do what you're doing now and haven't quite got the, the model right. So it's so good that you're still doing it under that big you know, umbrella of PwC, yet still focusing on the high growth startups, which I think is is just so valuable for the, the whole ecosystem. So yeah, great. And thanks again for being on the show. We're really looking forward to picking your brain. Good stuff, good stuff. Great, so now we've got three main topics as usual, um, and we've based it off a, a blog that actually Ed wrote uh, before. Um, and we're looking at picking the best type of investor for your business, 
Point two is fundraising, how much and when, and then three, managing the investment process, which is what you know, Ed obviously does for a day job. On to question one, picking the best type of investor for your business. Now, Ed, you've written a blog on the importance of finding the right money. Why does it matter so much? Yeah, um, I think it matters for several reasons. I think one of the key ones being that you're, you're in a partnership with the investor for, you know, a long period of time can be up to five to seven years depending on the stage that you're receiving the investment and when you're eventually going to exit so you've really got to make sure um, that your, your goals and strategic priorities are aligned that they really understand your business where you want to take it um, and um, you know are, are on board for the journey really it can't be a case of just having the cash and then you doing uh, something completely um, against what, what they would expect so you've got to really ensure that at, right at the start that your your goals and, and, and objectives are aligned and, and they're, they're on the journey with you. Um, I think the other thing as well is going back to that point about the long-term partnership, you've got to have a good rapport and establish good chemistry with the investor. So there's got to be a good cultural fit there. Scaling a business is not easy. Um, there'll be ups and downs. So you've got to make sure that when... Um, when you're either going through tough times um, or, or have some challenges, you're, you're sort of in the trenches with the right people, so to speak, and they're going to be supportive of you and, and really understand your challenges. So I think those are the, the, the two, two key points about and the, the right investor. I think as well, the other thing that we often come across is that um, there are good businesses out there where sort of venture um, type investment may not be the right option for them whether it's a timing thing they need to take angel investment earlier on or some seed stage investment um sort of ticket sizes of less than a million or actually some other options out there to fund their growth um it's not the only uh, pathway to growth out there so just thinking about the right side of investors and, and the the um the baggage that they might come with is is key yeah baggage is a good word and i agree you know certainly equity is not always the right instrument um you know if at all you could need debt you could need some kind of other financing option and if anyone's forcing equity on you stop and and have a think whether that's right for you and in terms of lead you know sticking on that with investor behavior some investors are, are you know better to work with than others how do you find out what it's really going to be like once that money lands once you're sitting around the board table together how do you assess that yeah i think there's there's a number of ways one way that we always um uh suggest uh founders find out a bit more about uh, certain funds is obviously where we sit we know the funds quite well but if, if you're not using an advisor for example I'd always suggest speaking to or asking to speak to the founders of a couple of their portfolio companies to really, you know, get it from their side to understand um, what it's like working with them in terms of the, the expectations on the sort of the growth side, but also on a personal basis as well. I think that's really crucial and also a bit of a red flag if they, if they try and shy away from doing that. Um, and, you know, going back to the other point, sort of spending time with them in person, whether it's, you know, just before you, you complete the deal, um, you know, spending some time going through in, in real detail, strategy plans, trying to see where they can add value and just building up that working relationship, I think is, is really crucial. And then you can get a really good feel for whether it's the right fit. Um, I think those are the two things that I'd, I'd really suggest doing. Great. Now, sticking with those red flags that you mentioned earlier, what are the other red flags that entrepreneurs should be looking for? What are you know, the ones where you should be walking away? Um, well, I guess sort of 
maybe prior to, 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 that, to that decision being made, have, it, have a look at the, the sort of credentials of the people in the fund that you're going to be working with. You know, what's their background? Do they really understand your space? Are they empathetic to uh, the needs of an entrepreneur and founder? Um, I think that, that's really crucial um, as well. And what's their track record, really? Um, so that's one thing. I'd also, when it comes to the deal itself, look at the underlying structure of the investment. You know, um, a really nice valuation can mask quite a lot of, um, I guess, sort of skeletons in the closet, so to speak. So think about the underlying deal structure. So, you know, are what what what's the, the share class and the share structure? Are they non-participating versus participating? And what does that mean for you? Um, is it one thing, you know, are they leaving investing provisions? Are they are they onerous or are they quite friendly? Um, and really sort of understanding that to, to, to get under the bonnet of, of the investment, I think is key. Um, I think the other thing as well is, is if they seem to be dragging their heels a little bit on, on trying to complete the deal, that's a bit of a red flag for me. Um, you know, how long is the exclusivity they're going into? And, you know, are they dragging out the DD? From my side, you know, if they're really wanting to get on board as, a, as effectively a growth partner, they should be looking to complete the deal, you know, not rushing to complete it, but in a, in a timely manner, because they should be thinking, right, let's get this capital in, help you fund your growth and move on. Um, so they can also make their return. If they're dragging their heels, it's a little bit of a, a red flag for me. And I'd be sort of bringing that up and thinking actually what's actually going on here as well. And it gives you a bit of insight into how they're going to operate on the follow on yeah. round when you may desperately need the cash, um, yeah. when your expenses are higher and so forth. Yeah. Now, well said. Yeah. Now, in terms of uh, sticking on that theme of fundraising, question bank number two. So how much to raise? So you, you've suggested in your blog article, 18 to 24 months cash runway. Now, why so long? And why can't entrepreneurs raise and then raise in quick succession 12 months later, probably at a, you know, ideally high evaluation for them? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, that that is one way of doing it. But I think the way that I at least see it is um, that sort of 18 to 24 months is a sort of gives you a realistic time frame to sort of hit your next phase of the business. 12 months, you may move the dial, but maybe not quite to to scaling it up to, you know, potentially doubling the revenue or whatever your, your, your next milestone may be. So it gives you a realistic timeframe to hit some really good achievable goals. If you think about the fundraise, it always takes people, if you're you know, hiring in sales and marketing, it takes a while to, to hire those people, for them to start churning out results and actually to help you achieve the next value, the best valuation in the next round. So you get, give yourself a bit of time to achieve those goals. And also to give yourself a little bit of buffer and slippage as well. You know, plans don't always work out as, as you may want to. So if you've got a little bit of extra cash in the bank, then that's always a, a good thing without having to lose too much sleep. Um, I guess the other thing as well is, you know, fundraising is, is time consuming. It's complex. Um, even if just from follow on from current investors, it can take a lot of um, mental capacity and time from a founder out of the business. So you want to be focusing on, you know, really growing the business um, and and not having to spend too much time constantly fundraising and replenishing capital. Um, mm. So, so there's a, the, the key reasons, I'd say. Yeah, no, excellent reasons. And would you say that you would include the income from revenue in those calculations or would you try and disregard that and just say based on expenses and cash raised, uh, that's how long my runway is? Um. 
a good question. I would probably I probably look at both of them to be honest with you and mm-hmm. see um where the sort of the two fit. I mean, you could almost have a worst case scenario of if all the taps mm-hmm. were turned off on the income side and you still had the same cash burn. Mm-hmm. Where would that get you to? And then almost building that up to a more I guess a, a, a base case or conservative if, if growth isn't great, but you know, where will that take you to? And then so 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 you can you can massage around sort of mm. the, the runway in terms of a number of months. Um but I'd be looking at if if you sort of achieved a relatively um uh positive growth plan in those 18 to 20 where where does that take you to in those 18 to 24 months and mm. using that as your as your as your base for planning. Mm. Um at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're trying to raise capital for growth. So um, it just sitting in the, in the bank and then sort of burning through it is, is not, the, not the way I'd be thinking about it. Yeah, no, fair enough. Okay, great. And in terms of the stage of business and how much you can raise, what is the link there? And I'm you know, specifically thinking about those pre-revenue business plan business that, you know, businesses in the US that raise $10 million and you're like, how is that possible? And is that possible in, in the UK as well? Or is that a strange phenomenon that m- yeah. may come here in time to come? Yeah, so I think it is possible in the UK, but it's extremely rare from what we see. I think, uh, you know, US investors are typically more bullish. There's a bit more, oh, I say a bit more, there's quite a lot more capital throwing around. So there's a lot more capital to be deployed. Um, but they are a bit more, they're happy to write bigger ticket sizes at a very early stage um i'd say over here the, the sort of a good rule of thumb is um a ratio of three parts capital to capital raise or raising to one part revenue so mm-hmm. looking at a business that's on you know a run rate of three million annually they should be looking to raise up to about nine million um obviously the the this, the, le- the the tighter you make that ratio, probably the easier it is to get that capital. But then again, you've got to think, actually, is that going to be the right amount of capital I need to take my business to the next level without having to go out to market again or to ask the, the same mm-hmm. investors for follow-on investment? Um, so whether it'll, the sort of the 10 million ticket sizes on a, on someone's idea um, will come over yet to be seen, it, it may do. I think there's, there's more and more investment being plugged into this space, but for the moment, it's a it's a rare phenomenon, I'd say. Mm, no, great. Thanks for saying that. And interesting that that ratio you have of three parts capital to one revenue. Uh, I've never heard it expressed quite like that, but it makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I think that's you know one of the themes for the overall show is the importance of you know entrepreneurs being aligned with investors, but more importantly with customers because you're going to need that customer revenue to actually get the investors excited and get capital from them. So it's this symbiotic relationship. Now earlier you touched on valuations and um, obviously a very uh, contentious topic and and one of my favourites. What do entrepreneurs need to know? I think the key piece of advice that I always give entrepreneurs is be really wary of benchmarks. Um, most of them look at things on a very macro level. Um, and while they may look at a sort of a sector focus, it'll still be quite a broad sector focus. So you'll look at SaaS benchmarks as a, as a basket. But we all know that just because a business is a SaaS business, there's a whole lot of difference between the types of business that are in there. Um, and beyond that, your specific company situation i guess you know what are your growth rates what verticals are you in um 
you know, what's your burn rate? So there's, there's a whole load of stuff that, and a whole load of factors that really influence the valuation beyond just market standard is currently eight to 10 X of, of ARR. So that's what we're going to aim for. Now there's, there's an argument that you should start from there and work backwards, but just because that's what the market standard says, um, doesn't mean what you, that's what you're going to get. You might get more, you might get less. Um, so, so that's, that's one thing and, and sort of being wary of that is, is key. Um, I think going on to, an, uh, back to an earlier point rather around valuation, um, is actually the underlying structure of the deal, um, mm -hmm. is, is just as crucial. So, you know, you could get that 20 X valuation if you really wanted to, but there could be a really aggressive deal structure that actually could leave you quite badly off. Um, if, if you don't hit certain metrics and et cetera. Um, so I'd, I'd be really, really, um, that's the other side of things I'd be wary of. It's not mm. just about valuation when it comes to the deal. It's a key component, but it's not the only component. Mm. Um, and actually, actually just on that, I'll, uh, it's a, it's a topic that we could probably deep dive into for quite a while. Mm. Um, but one of, uh, Rich and our team recently did a, a webinar with the British business bank, actually a couple of weeks ago where they went into detail on this in an hour. So, uh, happy to share the links around if, if useful, because I think it's a, it probably needs a bit more than a couple of a uh, couple of sentences to answer it in full. Absolutely, no, great, and and uh, thanks for the offer. We'll include that in the write up for the for this podcast. Great. So managing the investment process, we're on to question bank three. Now fundraising, Ed, it's it's your job, it's my job, and we know you know exactly how much effort actually goes into getting it right and. and um, how complex it can be. And I think entrepreneurs don't quite appreciate that until they're going through it. But I mean, it's not their job, but um, I want you to, you know, let's give some weight to it and, and talk us through the process that entrepreneurs know exactly what to expect. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'd echo that point. It's time consuming and complex. So mm. uh, it's not something to be taken lightly for sure. Mm. Um, and even good businesses can sometimes struggle to get capital uh, if they don't do it in the right way. So. Mm. Uh, really setting out a strategy and plan at the start of, or you know thinking ahead of time is, is crucial so um, I'd start with the sort of the time frame it can take anywhere between six to 12 months to raise capital um, from start to finish um, usually somewhere in the middle of that in all honesty sort of the eight to ten month period um, and that's sort of going from starting planning all the way through to cash in the bank um, there's sort of three key processes or components of that I guess so the first is getting sort of investor ready and that's getting all of your documents together um, your pitch deck financial model etc making sure they're hitting the right notes and telling the right story getting the investor interested um, and also thinking about the, the the strategy around it so um, making sure that that's all fitting together that can take a while it can take longer than people think it's not just about putting a good pitch set together. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, and also making sure, so the investor, the other side can make sure they understand what they're getting. Um, and then moving on. So once you once you are ready to go to market, there is the actual go to market piece. So going and speaking to the right investors at the right time um, and engaging with them, which can be, you know, quite a lengthy process. They're, they're going to be committing a fair amount of capital. They've got a certain amount of capital that they can commit certain number of deals they can they can do a year so they're going to have to do quite a lot of digging into the business to really mm. get to grips with it to understand it so that can be a sort of a time-consuming process if not managed in the right way um 
so so there's there's that element to it as well so that's going from sort of first call follow-ups next meetings um further information requests um you know all, all the rest of it and getting all the way to getting a term sheet on the on the table or mm. a couple a couple of term sheets um so a couple of investment offers and then you really go into sort of i guess the the completion side of things so once you've got your term sheet you've reviewed it you're comfortable with valuation as we said but also the the terms with it um you know there'll, there'll be elements where you'll want to say actually that's not going to fit right can be can be compromised and, and make some changes etc um moving from that point in time all the way through to completion so there'll be a, a diligence phase which depending on the fund depending on the size of the deal stage of the business etc can take anywhere between one to three months um hopefully once that's all completed and uh you know the, the diligence guys have gone through your data room and you know asked you lots of random questions about this and that um that's when you get cash in the bank so there's a lot going on there it's a very complex process there's, there's a lot to consider um so going back to my first point i'd say that founders shouldn't take it lightly at all yeah, absolutely. And I like the way you split it into the different phases. And I'd love to focus on that piece, what to do before you approach investors. How long is that period? Because um, I think some people think, you know, when they first make contact with investors, that's when the fundraising starts. But it actually should have started a long time before that. How far in advance and how much work goes into that? Well, a lot of work goes into it. Um, you know, you can move as quickly or as slowly as you want, really. Um, I think. The, the key thing to think about is is the documents that you need to get ready. So one is your, your pitch deck. So you sort of 18 to 20 pages, introducing the business, the market it operates in, what the plan is for the next phase, et cetera. So you've got to get that ready. I think everyone knows that. I think, um, and especially when we think about the size of the deal that, that the team that I'm in works on, sort of series A, series B, they'll also um, want sort of an extended investor deck as well, most likely now. That varies from business to business, but what we suggest doing is thinking about the sector they operate in and what are the key questions that investors often ask or what, what areas they dig into. So, for example, a consumer business, they'll look at your sort of repeat rates, lifetime value of customer, customer acquisition costs, all those sorts of things. So getting that up front and ready and making sure that you don't get uh, to the point where you get asked a question, the metrics don't quite look great, um, or, or you haven't sort of looked at them in the right way, um, help sort of any any back and forth when you've already started engaging with the investor um, and it sort of leading to friction, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's, there's two elements that are more sort of, I guess, a couple of decks really to put together. The other side is on the financials as well. Um, so building a financial model that has to be uh, a three statement financial model that accountants like myself love, but probably everyone else hates. Uh, so that's your P&L, cash flow, balance sheet, all integrated, all sensitized. Um, and probably, depending again, so, uh, stage of the business, two years historical, potentially five years forecast. Um, but and, and also what we also suggest doing is building up an assumptions booklet. So it doesn't take an investor to have to interrogate the, the Excel to really understand what's going on, come back with lots of questions of why is, growth, why is the growth rate in year one? bigger than year two for example um why is is headcount this year different to the next year etc um so they can actually understand that the key commercial assumptions going on there and how the how the, the financial model flows together so those are the key documents now 
um, giving yourself, you know, a month or so to get that ready, month to six weeks, I'd say is, is probably the right amount of time. We understand founders are under pressure and it can be, uh, it can need to be quicker than that. So um, I think it's more about the workload that you're going to have to anticipate rather than the amount of time that you need to think about. But planning in advance is always crucial. So. Absolutely. And the thing I would add to that is, that age-old adage of of you only get you know one chance to make a first impression it's you know it's you know more important than ever with investors because as soon as you send out that deck and uh you might use docusend and they might not be able to download it but they would have seen you had a first impression and to repair that later down the line after having missed financial projections or not pitched the MRR, the monthly recurring revenue properly, or whatever it might be, it's you, you're backpedaling. So rather go with a one consistent, strong story at the outset. And sticking on that, you know, I, I certainly am a, a convert to using uh, corporate finance houses like yourself to, to help prepare. What are the pros of using someone like yourself to actually help you prepare for a fundraise? So I think there's a few uh, key pros to to bring in a corporate finance house. One is by using experts in this space, um, you really buy up additional bandwidth for the team. Um, you know, early stage businesses are under pressure; they don't have huge amounts of resource, hence the need for fundraising. Um, so bringing in a team that can help um, and a team with strong expertise and credentials in the field um, is only going to help manage that time-consuming and, and complex process that we've discussed. Um, I also think, in addition to that, someone who really knows the market and does this day in, day out can be really helpful. Um, it helps with making sure that, you know, you've got all the documents in the right place um, and there's nothing missing from that perspective, um, whether it's, you know, on the financials or the, the extended deck, making sure you've got everything you really need to, 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 to get the deal over the line in the most efficient way possible. Um, and we've also had feedback from a number of investors saying that um, actually it's a real positive having advisors on the sort of on the, the company side um, for several reasons. One being just generally they know that this business is being well advised and when they get to later stages in the deal, there's not going to be any surprises around, you know, valuation or what the deal structure could be coming from that particular fund. We'll know who that fund are intimately. We know the sort of the way that they sort of work. And this is the, the likely structure of the deal, making sure that they're on side earlier on. So there's a good efficiency there. Um, and also will have helped with, you know, things like the data rooms. So that's not going to be a time consuming and, and complex process. And that's going to be as efficient as possible. So it helps all sides really. Um, and it just helps, you know, everyone get the deal done in an efficient way possible. And uh, then forget about fundraising until they have to go out for the next round, basically. Absolutely. And I have to echo that at seed stage, often people don't appoint advisors or can't afford them or whatever the, the rationale is. And the burden on the investor's side is incredible. It's supposed to be seed stage, light touch, a small check size. And the amount of work that goes in without, you know, well-prepared documents, financial models, it just protracts that fundraising process. And, uh, you know, investors like entrepreneurs are similarly time poor. So having someone, uh, you know, really help uh, lubricate the process is imperative. Now, that's all the good sides. Are there any cons just so that we're balanced here? Yeah, of, sure. uh, cons of using a, a corporate finance house? 
the the con broadly is is the cost right mm -hmm. um that's that's the main thing i see and the main challenge we get you know a lot of, a lot of fans will say oh, i can do it myself and, and that's fine if that's you know some businesses can um but i i think the way i look at it is um well it's twofold one the looking at the the potential advisor you're going to who you're going to appoint is the cost structure and the way that their fees are structured is that actually they're going to be fair so for example we work predominantly on contingent fee so success fee so it's sort of we go into a partnership um which i think works well so there's no cash due until after the fundraise which you know does help things uh, from a cost perspective but more broadly i guess the way i think about it is it's you know raising capital for a growing business is it's going to be the lifeblood of what gets you to your next phase of your, of your business and help you scale your growth um and you wouldn't it is it, it's a crucial area to invest in you need to make sure you get this right you need to make sure you do it in the efficient as efficient way possible you know you wouldn't expect um sales growth to be doing well if you're not investing in marketing for example so um while there are other ways to do it rather than you know a cf house you know there's there's a lot of good sort of fds out there um or sort of portfolio fds who also have you know, experience on the fundraising side i think investing more generally in that area to make sure you get this right is is, is crucial and um so the con is the cost but i see it as more of a, an investment rather than pure opex it's just going out the door Absolutely. And I mean, and to add into the mix there, a strong chair who's had experience of fundraising can also help, especially in those early stages. Um, and in terms of the actual fees, personally, I don't see that as a downside because you're probably going to be able to raise more at a more competitive valuation. So it literally comes out in the wash. So I really don't see a downside for entrepreneurs. Uh, and that's a very candid view. Now I'm going to summarize what we've discussed um, across our three topics, and then we're going to go on to uh, quickfire Q&A. So briefly, in terms of picking investors, why is it important? Well, because it's going to be a long-term relationship. Make sure that you have a very strong rapport with them at the start. How to pick them, look for a strong tra track record and make sure that they're empathetic to your needs as an entrepreneur and as a startup business. Watch out for investors who drag their heels on any deal. In terms of fundraising, uh, make sure you have a realistic timeline. It can take uh, quite a long time, you know, up to six to 12 months. Um, in terms of how much you should be raising, it gave us a very good ratio of three parts capital to one part revenue. I really like that. Now, in terms of managing the investment process, make sure you set a strategy and go out with a very targeted rifle approach, not just a shotgun spray and pray because you're probably going to hit nothing. In terms of key documents, you need a pitch deck. It's good to prepare some you know, frequently asked questions and a very strong uh, triple statement financial model. Um, and if you need help with that, I'm sure Ed would be delighted to help you. And in terms of why you should use the corporate finance house, it's going to increase your bandwidth, help with speed. And the downside is cost. But as we said, it probably comes out in the wash. Um, so I don't think there's too much to worry about. So thanks again, Ed. Do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, sure. I think the best way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. So um, just type in Edward Reed, PwC. And I think I should be coming up in, the, in your search bar. That's, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Absolutely. And that, that's where we, we met, of course. Um, great. Now on to quickfire Q&A. So you mentioned you are originally from Cardiff. What's your favourite place in Wales? Uh, I have two. 
One is Murthamawa, so um, just near the, the coast, I guess, um, and that's when I'm walking my dogs. Mm. And then also you can't beat uh, the Millennium Stadium on a match day either. Did you go the other week? For the South Africa game, I did. I went to that yeah, one, yeah. I, the one that we lost. I didn't go to the one that we won against Australia, but yeah. Still oh. very good to be back. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> What's the best part about your job? Uh, I really like working with um, entrepreneurs and, and, and founders, you know, working with interesting people, uh, solving pretty big challenges and, you know, who are passionate about their job. is quite inspiring and, and, and is uh, the thing that makes me most excited about my job. Mm, absolutely. And it, there's a lot of capital, uh, you know, dry powder, feces, you know, a wash with capital. Is now the best time to be an entrepreneur? I think so. Um, I think, you know, a couple of reasons, one being obviously the, the dry powder, so there's, there's a lot of capital out there. Um, but more broadly, I think, you know, technology is is even more increasingly than it has done recently, you know, come to the forefront of everything we do in life. So there's a lot of opportunity out there and a lot of things that can be, you know, um, changed. I think as well, you know, the move to hybrid working has um, really enabled networking and also the cost of setting up a business is is is, is just lessened there's, there's less overheads so you can you can really get cracking from a very low base um and, and start something quite early on yeah great now uh on the more fun side any holidays booked for you um not booked but just about to book skiing uh in march going to, to morzine in france hopefully so um been a while since uh been out on the slopes for, for obvious reasons but usually try and go at least twice a year so i've been really missing it the last couple of winters so um yeah looking forward to that hopefully yeah hope you get there now what's going to be the next big thing and this could be um any topic startups or skiing yeah fair enough i'll, I'll go with startups if that's all right i'm very much in startup mode at the moment i think um i think that the next big thing i guess it's it's already quite a big thing but i think it's going to go to the next level is health tech i think that we have only just scratched the surface so far. So you see the likes of Babylon Health obviously doing really well on their IPO, et cetera. Um, but I think there's so much more that technology can do for, you know, the, the healthcare systems, which across the world and, and especially in this country are hugely under pressure um, to, to help deliver with demographic change, cost pressures, et cetera. There's a whole load that can, is really going to come out. So I think that's one thing that will, will really, you know, take off even further. And I think, Alongside that, one of the things that has been a bit of a barrier, at least at the earlier stage, has been the the high cost it takes for a lot of health tech businesses mm. to get to commercialization because of the regulatory landscape. Now, I think that what will inevitably happen is someone will find some clever way to make sure that that is shortened mm. um, and and that barrier will lower and therefore there'll be lots lots more opportunity out there so i think that's the one um that is, is going to go you know even further than the moon it's a mm. it's a market with infinite number of users so that's that's where i'm placing my bet so to speak yeah well yeah good advice and i think we've seen a lot of capital fly into those types of funds and in terms of the regulatory approvals you know we've seen unprecedented things over the recent period with the vaccines so uh, anything is possible and, and i hope that the red tape does go down well obviously uh being uh, safe and compliant great anything else on your mind no not really just uh happy to be here and uh, really good to chat that's all for this episode. Keep tuning in for more exclusive insights from seasoned investors, accomplished entrepreneurs, and professional service advisors. 
Follow the Tippy Top blog on all major social media platforms, including Twitter, TikTok, Insta, Facebook, or now Meta, LinkedIn. And of course, you can find me, Alexander Lee, on LinkedIn. And you can also check out my website, thetippytop.com. Until next time, keep pushing, and I'll see you at the Tippy Top.